Want a bank that was ranked among the top in the nation for business banking? Whitney Bank has you covered with nearly 200 locations across the Gulf South. So stop by today. Learn more at HancockWhitney.com. Member FDIC. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. Additional support comes from Luba Workers' Comp. From Commander's Palace Restaurant in the Garden District in New Orleans, we're out to lunch with Peter Raschuti. Peter Raschuti is Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and director of the award-winning Birkenrode Reports. It's business, New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Raschuti. Welcome to Out to Lunch. The writer H.L. Mencken is often quoted as having said, nobody ever went broke underestimating the intelligence of the American people. Mencken never actually said exactly that, but if he was alive today and living in New Orleans, he might have said, nobody ever went broke underestimating the thirst for alcohol of New Orleanians. In all fairness, we do have somewhere around 10 million tourists here each year, so it's not only we locals drinking all the booze that's consumed here, but local craft breweries and distilleries keep popping up and thriving. Cajun Spirits started making rum, vodka, and gin in 2010. You can buy Cajun Spirits all over New Orleans, and you can see it in lots of the city's popular bars because the owner of the distillery, Gus Hike, has made a specialty of working with local bartenders to create cocktails featuring his products. A very interesting and smart piece of marketing. Gus, welcome out to lunch. Hey, thank you for having me. Mark Logan graduated with a master's degree in polymer chemistry from the University of Southern Mississippi. He followed that with postgraduate studies at the University of California where he studied, and I quote, the intensive science of brewing. Today, no surprise, Mark is not a polymer chemist. He's the co-founder and COO of Second Line Brewing, a craft beer brewery in mid-city New Orleans. Mark, welcome out to lunch. Thank you, it's a pleasure. I think you made a good career choice. They, uh, they, uh, now, Gus, your idea of working with local bartenders to create signature cocktails that feature your vodka, gin, or rum is similar to the marketing model pharmaceutical companies use to encourage doctors to prescribe their drugs. So what is your pitch to a bartender? If I walk into a bar and I want a vodka tonic, what do you want the bartender to say to get me off my preferred vodka and get me to try Cajun Spirits? Well, I, I want to make the, the product um, personal to the bartender. And a lot of the bartenders in the city um, have found themselves here usually the same way a lot of foreigners have or, or locals that have somehow fallen in love with the city. So pitching it to them as a product that is completely locally made from scratch with a vodka is, is relatively unique in that we use uh, everything in our bottle is from within 60 miles of our location on Poydras Street. So it's all made with Louisiana sugarcane. It's all made in-house from scratch. We don't use any neutral spirits or commodities back to it. So the water is Mississippi River water? No, it's no. not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, we make yeah. it more colorful. We, yeah, yeah. We, we, use, uh, we use RO water, which is a reverse osmosis. So oh, yeah. it's very, very pure water. And then we actually play somewhat with the chemi chemistry of the water to make it um, what in brewing they would call like brewing water, brewing chemistry. Uh, so we'll, we'll add certain things or filter it through certain things to get different flavor profiles well, with the water. Is there different ways to make vodka? For instance, I always think of potatoes. Right. 
Yeah, so the most common question we get is that vodka is 100%, you know, um, uh, made from a certain product, usually a grain or potatoes or corn. The truth is, is the definition of vodka is anything distilled over 190 proof. So it, it has to do with where it comes out of your distillation column uh, and or how it comes out of your distillation column. So yes, technically what we would make is a rum if it were anything less than 190 proof. Once we hit 190 proof, we can call it a vodka and it doesn't matter what the base agricultural product is. Wow. Do you help the bartender come up with a name for the drink? Um, sometimes we do. We obviously like to focus on anything that involves crescent or vodka is crescent vodka. So anything that has crescent in the name or ref is somewhat referential to that, that portion of the idea of New Orleans. You I know. hope we come up with some ideas today. That I'm would, sure that would be really do. good. The they more we drink, the better the ideas seem to be. <laughs> so. Precisely. <laughs> now, Mark, you started brewing beer at Second Line Brewing in 2015. By then, the local craft beer market was pretty well established. Uh, there were already a good selection of local New Orleans and Louisiana craft beers. What did you think was missing in that lineup that you could provide? And were you right? Is your current success a result of filling a gap you saw in the craft beer market? Or has a, another of your beers turned out to be a, a bestseller? Well, so the market's not saturated. That was the reason we got into it. You know, even now we have 33 breweries that are officially online. We have another 30 in planning. Um, but I'd say we're still probably behind Bend, Oregon in terms of the number of breweries, which has got, you know, 85,000 people <laughs> and, you know, well, well we over like 30 breweries. We not winning stuff when it comes to alcohol, so it's a... Well, there's a clear opportunity here. Yeah. And I, I think a lot of people enjoy living next to a brewery because we definitely have more of a sense of community than say uh, breweries of 60 years ago, 50 years ago. But that brings me to a point I was going to ask you about is the, you're, you've become vertically integrated. You have a, a, a beer garden. Yes. And that, that was, you know, through uh, not only the, the vision of our legislators who realized if we, we don't amend a certain law that only allowed us to sell 10% of our monthly production. So if you're just starting out and you're making 100 barrels, which is, you know, barrels 31 gallons, uh, 100 barrels a month, that means you can only sell 10 barrels out of your beer garden in a month. Well, we have a busy weekend. We'll go through 10 barrels real easy. So now you, what do you do for the other three weeks? So or do you produce a bunch of stuff and sit on it? So they changed the law. So now you can sell up to 250 barrels a month or 10% of your production, whichever is greater. Because it's very difficult. It's a cash-intensive business. I'm sure Gus right. knows. Yep. Um, you, have to, you have to buy not only a lot of equipment, you have to buy a lot of raw materials. The equipment's expensive. Um, you have to have special infrastructure. But Mark, what I'm hearing is that you <coughs> folks in the craft side of, of this business, both you and Gus, um, the craft people kind of work together. Uh, oh, yeah. It's not as cutthroat competitive. Uh, do you view the, the big guys as the, as the real uh, enemy or, or is it, and you guys work together on issues? So, something that's been hard for me is, is getting out of the mindset of having an enemy. Um, and so- Is so this through therapy or is this- <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I was in the Navy for a while. So, you know, it's, it's very, you know, mission specific. Right. That's an enemy, this is a friend, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, but uh, rather than looking at um, uh, trying to achieve and setting and achieving goals and, and, and getting to those goals, obviously with team players, whether they're brewers or fellow distillers, um, uh, it is what you need to do. Uh, but have those goals specific, specifically designed. Because if you go after in this market, if you go after somebody, you know, 
so-and-so is my enemy product, right? Yeah. You're, you might make a dent in that, but usually it's going to be, you know, a Pyrrhic victory. It's going to be something that, you, you know, you do at your own expense, right? Right. Um, so, and, and one of the things Mark was talking about that hasn't really, the impetus behind having a beer garden or having a tasting room or whatever is that we're, we are very intensive cash-wise up front. We have to buy these raw materials in bulk. We have to buy specialty equipment, which, you know, yeah. is, is, is 10 times more expensive than the same piece of equipment, you know, made for some other purpose because it's for this, right? So we have all these costs up front, but we're not allowed by law um, for a long time now to sell our products directly. So any other manufacturer is allowed to start up and sell a product directly. And well, let's see now. Now, uh, Mark, you started in 2015. Go we started the process in approximately 2009, 2010 is when we incorporated. And since then, we, uh, we really only started selling products about uh, a year and a half, two years ago. Well, let me just ask you something. How do you guys define success? I mean, uh, is it just about profits? Or are you going to, I assume that you're not make, turning a profit yet. Would I be right? Or yeah, I'm still not getting paid. Okay, all right, there's nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I would, uh, I would say that my definition of success is, has changed to uh, one day being able to support my cost of living, uh, going to work at, a, uh, at my own place. <laughs> that's which, my, that's which is what pretty I darn valuable. Do. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> for, uh, for us, I mean, we've had just a number of successes along the way. I mean, you know, one, now we, we have 10 employees, we've got four of those people that are full-time. We found really good people. Um, you know, they're the, the whole reason we are what we are today. It's great to see some of these people, you know, who've come in, they've had no brewing experience now. They're on the brew house floor. They're extremely competent. They're still hungry to learn. So that's a success for us on the people side. Um, our community, I mean, we have regulars. We have, I've got an eight-year-old son, and on Sunday, his favorite thing is to go to the brewery. And he wants to go to the brewery because his brewery friends are there. And there's a group of four or five little boys that are his age, and that's who he wants to see, and that's how he wants to spend a Sunday afternoon. <laughs> I'm a little concerned, but I, li I like where it's going, though. It's, uh, <laughs> it's juice boxes only. Okay, juice all right, okay. That is, uh, <laughs> and, and, and the profit, the profit is nice. Um, especially if you talk to my wife. Um, so yeah, and, and we're slowly getting there. Our sales are increasing, our brand awareness is increasing. But I, I also think you have to be very careful about how you develop your brand. Um, I, I think you can come out and you can have the slick marketing campaign, but I do think, and, and Gus probably can, can answer some of this as well, that the consumer is getting a little more sophisticated and they're able to differentiate between what is an authentic local product made by people who want to keep that product in the community, they want to create jobs, they want to, to build, um, build something, not just build it and then sell it to one of the big distributors. You're listening to Out to Lunch, I'm Peter Raschuti. I'm talking with Mark Logan from Second Line Brewing and Gus Hike from Cajun Spirits Distillery. Now Gus, Mark, this is the part of the show we call your brother-in-law, you've got to the end of the day, a long day, and you're about to finally take it easy when your phone rings, it's your brother-in-law. Normally he only calls when he's planning a crawfish boil and wants you to supply the booze, but this time the conversation's a little different. Uh, Gus, your brother-in-law has a great idea for building on your bartender marketing strategy. In a few short years, 
Tales of the Cocktail has become one of the most successful events in the city. Basically, the Tales concept is your idea of making bartenders into stars. But it's only once a year. Your brother-in-law's idea is to do a tie-in with art gallery openings on the first Saturday of every month. You partner with a different art gallery each month. Instead of that gallery giving away cheap white wine like all the others, they serve your specialty cocktails. The gallery pays you a fee, your cocktails drag in a crowd from the, to the gallery, and you get a monthly promotional event. It's a win-win-win. Your brother-in-law's prepared to quit his job stocking shelves at Whole Foods to be your VP of art marketing. What do you say? Are you in? I, I think we could pivot that to a, a, a good idea some, somehow, yeah. Yeah, it is. <laughs> sure. sure, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think there's a value in what you're saying as far as uh, creating content for marketing so that it's not necessarily um, uh, throwing blind marketing stories out there, but actually creating a content-driven or content-appearing uh, 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 marketing uh, plan for, for whatever the business is, whether it's our alcohol or maybe we could pivot that into something for my brother-in-law to help with every alcohol that's out there and creating content for it. So yeah, I mean, I think when you look at marketing as a whole, uh, we're getting away from um, throwing a billboard up necessarily and just hoping enough eyes see it and getting into what's going to catch and make an, a statement in, let's say, someone scrolling through, through Facebook uh, feed or whatever the feed might be, clicking on the side of a Google ad. And content, I think, bef more than anything, or the appearance of content, if you want to be cynical, um, is is what you need to, to, to do. And I think with that, with that storyline of this is a bar at an art gallery with a with a, 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 a fancy bartender or like a, a star bartender is the kind of content you might be able, especially with great photographs and stuff like that, you can really get people to click on. Now Mark, your brother-in-law has a great marketing idea too. The Germans have a giant beer festival every year called Oktoberfest. Locally, the Deutsches House does a version of it in a parking lot in Kenner. Your brother-in-law's idea is to do it a month earlier which would make a lot more sense because it could be called September. This is, this is so great, right? Uh, you see what he did here? He put an extra E in September to make it September. It's a much better idea for a beer festival based on the name of the month, right? It's, it's a month earlier, so it'll knock Oktoberfest out of the park or parking lot. Uh, what do you say? Are you up for launching a worldwide fad September fest? No. <laughs> no, all right. All right. You know, honesty is important, too. They, uh... <laughs> the big issue with beer fests, at least in my opinion, is it becomes more about um, just going around and drinking a lot of beer. It does not have a whole lot to do with educating people, right. um, which you know, I, I, I just find in my, my own leading tours and talking to people at the brewery that the more you talk to them about what's going on, um, the more appreciation they have for it, but they also feel, you know, a little more ownership in the whole concept of, of craft beer. And, and you're both looking for kind of a sophisticated drinker, right? I mean, just just to care about this. They're not going for the low price. And well, well, well I mean, that price is a is a is something that we hear about a lot about. Um, but you know, Gus and I can go on for days about expensive equipment, and you know, we pay our people a living wage. Right. Um, even though we're not earning one, um, you know we do pay. Everybody our people gets a living wage, but Mark. <laughs> well, <There's a laughs> but you know that's okay. I signed up for this. Yeah, you made a point of having 
you, you, uh, very interesting labels and names for these beers. What do they mean? Like, what is Route 47? That's not a highway right here. No, that's, that's the red streetcar line. So this is a red IPA. It's a, a sub-style of the India Pale Ale. Um, and so as a playoff of just, you know, local piece of history, we said, well, you know, there's the, the uptown streetcars are green. The, the ones going to the cemetery are red, and it's Route 47, so that was kind of the impetus for that name. Uh, and we do try to bring, you know, some local history, because we have this, we have a, we have a great local history. We, we have a, a wonderful city, and I, I just really looking to move tourists past Bourbon Street so they can open their eyes, not only to, you know, the wonderful food like we're having here today at Commander's Palace, but th this fantastic history. So. Um, a block and a half from our brewery was where the Higgins boats were built. Oh, that's right. Over by Delgado. I yep. mean, that's fantastic. It's fantastic history. So I think uh, there'll be a, a Higgins ale or something uh, coming yeah, soon. Possibly. I like the way, do you have brainstorming meetings for the names, both of you? I think that would be the most fun part. Yeah, we, we'll do a Saturday meeting with my brother and I at lunch at, uh, <laughs> at a place, and we're, we're sampling our product, uh, making <laughs> sure it's represented appropriately. <laughs> Maybe a little competition or somebody else's product. Yeah. So come up with different ideas for things, yeah. And Mark, you, you've got big regular bottles and the kind of bottles you knock somebody out with. So, What's the, so the, the 22 ounce bottles are called bombers and they're generally for um, you know, specialty beers, um, beers that are high in alcohol content or maybe things that are, that are seasonal. Um, so we have uh, two bottling machines. We have one that does the 12 ounces and then we have one that does the 22 ounce. And so, um, we tend to package some of our bigger beers. Uh, the Route 47 Red is, is, is 7%. This is our Saison Desire, which we're still working on the, the label for. Oh yeah, you got kind but of a generic label there. But it's a Blood Orange Saison, um, which was part of a naming contest. So we submitted, you know, we went out on Facebook and we asked everybody, hey, you know, we're looking for something, you know, New Orleans, preferentially a, a play on the contents of the beer. Yeah. You know, Blood Orange and it's a Saison. Um, and that was the name we, we came up with. I, I now, Gus, you uh, kind of got into the, the distilling business in an odd way. Were you were just kind of helping out with New Orleans rum, was that it? Um, no, I, it, it's, it's a long story. I don't know what I'm, <laughs> <laughs> but I don't want to make any, anybody angry at the story. But yeah, basically, uh, I was actually working as a welder. Uh, I'd gotten out of the Navy in December of, 30, December of 07. Not the best time to be looking for a job. Right. I'm moving from San Diego to New Orleans, so uh, I decided uh, to to expand on my ability to weld. I was working as a welder, and I ended up over at Old New Orleans, um, trying working towards a master's at UNO in uh, mechanical engineering, and uh, ended up having a discussion with the owner, and uh, basically said, uh, I, "I'll give me some time." and I'll help you out here while I try to figure out how to buy it from you. Wow. Um, we never could come to terms on, uh, on agreement that on letting me. that got the juices flowing, I guess. And yeah, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I knew I'd always wanted to work in New Orleans with agricultural products in a plant environment, you know, manufacturing something locally, um, but from local product, and I wanted to be in the alcohol game as well. I fell in love with uh, prot with uh, alcohol as I was in, when I was in the Navy, not in, in that sense <laughs> of the term, but, but in the sense that, you know, when we'd pull into port, everywhere we'd go had a local product. They had a, a wine in Italy, a rum in South America or Central America, 
everywhere always had something, and I really love that You're making the Navy so. seem very romantic at the this Navy point. The Navy is, is wonderful. <laughs> it's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful and Mark, thing. You sort of learned an apprenticeship too. You were working for uh, somebody called like Monkey Head or something like that. I'm pretty close, right? I'm <laughs> Flying Monkey. Flying Monkey, that's what it was. <laughs> yeah, so um, I, I met Peter uh, Kyoto, who's the owner of the Flying Monkeys uh, in California, and Peter was a wonderful guy, and he's like, you know, well, I've got this brewery in Barrie, Ontario, and come on up, you can crash at my house, and we'll teach you everything we know. And so, yeah, and so Peter comes down, his family, his wife has family in Alabama, um, and so they come down a couple times a year, and he typically surprises me, shows up unannounced, and it's always wonderful to see him. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, and, and that's and that is very representative of you know what goes on the, in the beer industry, um, because I think most people realize that we're just trying to build our industry, we're just trying to build the groundswell. So we're not necessarily competing against one another. I mean, it's it's not unusual for one of us to say, "Holy crap, I'm out of hops. I need this hop." And we'll call somebody up and say, hey, look, does anybody have, you know, 44 pounds of this? Like a cup of sugar for usual people. That's so yeah, great. Yeah, but, like, but it's like $20 a pound. <laughs> 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 Gus, Mark, for most people, when we get to the end of lunch, it's the end of the fun part of the day. We have to go back to work and stick it out till the end of the day when maybe we can have a cocktail or a beer. For you guys, though, you go straight from lunch to the cocktails and beer. It's not hard to see the attraction of owning a brewery or a distillery. It's been great to meet you both. I look forward to keeping up with you and looking out for Cajun spirits and second line beer at stores, bars, and, and restaurants around town. Thank you both for taking the time to join me today on Out to Lunch. Thank you. Enjoy Thank it, you, Gus. Yes, real pleasure. <laughs> My guests on Out to Lunch today have been Gus Hike, owner of Cajun Spirits Distillery, and Mark Logan, the co-founder and COO of Second Line Brewing. You can find out more about Gus's spirits and Mark's beer by following the links on our websites. It's neworleans.com and WWNO. Org. Our show is recorded live over lunch at Commander's Palace in New Orleans. Commander's Palace serves lunch Monday through Friday, jazz brunch on Saturday and Sunday, with live music and dinner seven nights a week. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Our researcher is Mr. Matthew Ellison. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. Mitch's music is available wherever great jazz is sold, streamed, or stolen and at mitchellforman.com. You can get the show as a podcast. You can listen to past shows and you can keep up with us on all kinds of social media by going to our websites, wwno.org and itsneworleans.com. If you want to know what we look like, and uh, it's, I think it's worth it this week, don't you think? We, uh, you can find photos from this show on our website and Facebook page. These photos were taken today by Allison Moon. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM. I'm Peter Raschuti. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the table here at Commander's Palace for more business, New Orleans style, on Out to Lunch. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base, joneswalker.com. Additional support comes from Luba Workers Comp. Want a bank that was ranked among the top in the nation for business banking? Whitney Bank has you covered with nearly 200 locations across the Gulf South. So stop by today. Learn more at HancockWhitney.com, member FDIC.